Welcome to the Political Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Pethokoukas of the American Enterprise Institute. Each week, I feature a lively conversation with experts on some of the most important economic and policy questions of our time. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider rating and reviewing it on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. Ratings and reviews really help with the podcast visibility, and I always appreciate the feedback. Thanks, and on to the show. From job interviews to college admissions, identifying and allocating talent plays a big role in the modern economy. But what is talent? And how well can we pick it out from a quick conversation or a glance at a resume? Returning to political economy to answer those questions is Tyler Cowan. Tyler holds the Holbert L. Harris Chair in Economics at George Mason University. He's a columnist at Bloomberg Opinion and co-writes the popular economics blog, Marginal Revolution. A prolific author, his previous books include Stubborn Attachments, The Complacent Class, Averages Over, and the New York Times bestseller, The Great Stagnation. Tyler's new book, co-written with Daniel Gross, is Talent, How to Identify Energizers, Creatives, and Winners Around the World. Tyler, welcome back to the podcast. Happy to be here, Jim. In the book, you define talent as a person's creative spark. Was that definition obvious to you from the beginning of the book writing process? Yes, I co-authored the book with a venture capitalist who funds people doing startups. And those are people with a creative spark. And I've hired uh, academics, public intellectuals, media types. Those are also people with creative spark. So that's what the two of us know best. But don't you need different types of talent and different strengths other than creative spark to run a successful organization? Absolutely. You need to read other books about talent and hire other kinds, hire other kinds of people. But it is surprising to me how many people, in fact, have or can have a creative spark. If you think about hiring your own assistant, which is someone maybe not so high in the hierarchy, but they have to know how to manage you. You hope they come to you with new ideas. You hope they become something significant later in life. It's really quite a few people that our category covers. Is that talent innate? Can it be developed? Uh, I remember talking to, uh, I was talking to a comic book writer and we were discussing this. He said, I would create a completely alternate curriculum for a high school. Can you create creative people or is it, again, is it innate? A great deal of talent can be developed. So look at how many talented individuals are coming right now from India and South Asia far, far more than was the case 40 years ago. It's the same basic set of people, right? But they have better education systems, better nutrition, more internet access, and so on. So being in the right small groups of people and having the right mentors are two things we can do for people to develop their own talent. So it's not just about cognitive ability. It's not just a matter of IQ tests, right? Energy is extremely important. Persistence, right? Ability to work together with other people. Ability to look at a complex social structure and figure out how it operates. All those factors are at least as important as intelligence. Google used to be famous for asking you know, bizarre questions for candidates. You know, how many golf balls could fit into a bus or you know, create an evacuation plan for San Francisco where there was no right answer. And I assume they just wanted to see how you thought about things. But I remember there was a story about uh, Larry Summers, the economist, director of Obama's National Economic Council, when he was going to get a job at a, uh, at a hedge fund, I think it was D.E. Shaw, they asked him to solve math puzzles. But is there any value to that kind of interview question? There's a very, very narrow set of jobs. 
and some of them do seem to be at quant hedge funds where the ability to pose people very specific mathematical questions is of value. But for the most part, it's not a valuable interview technique. And we steer people away from it in our book. Again, there's a small number of places that do it, maybe find it rewarding. But people skills are more important, knowing whom to ask a question, a kind of meta rationality, knowing when you're wrong. Even the very best traders, think of them as right 51% of the time. Well, that's in a way an incredible record. But you've got to be able to handle that other 49% in some way, not get too big ahead, understand what it means to make a mistake, uh, maintain your emotional equilibrium and so on. So even for jobs in quant hedge funds, those are very often the more important talents, noting you do have to know a fair amount of math, of course. But there's other ways of selecting for that than asking about golf balls in a Volkswagen. Is trying to find people with creative sparks, is that the same as people you know, thinking outside the box, are those the same things? They're closely related, but they're not the same. So a lot of creative spark actually is thinking very well inside the box or just seeing what the box is or choosing the right box. There are brilliant people who play chess, but unless you're say in the world top 10, your career is probably a big mistake. You're, you, you might have creative chess moves, but you're focused on the wrong box. So a lot of what we talk about in the book is how do you find people who understand what the box is? And certainly before reading the book, I really thought this was more of an art than a science, but it's both. Are you satisfied that this is, this is something you can actually learn how to do in a, in a systematic way? It is both an art and a science. You can teach people how to do it, but it's like art appreciation or music appreciation. Some people are better at it than others. There are not so many fixed rules for understanding art like, oh, the good paintings are the really big ones, or the good paintings all have dogs in them, right? That's just silly. If you spend a lot of time looking at different paintings, talking about them with other intelligent people who have a high, highly developed you know, visual or spatial sense, you will become much better at appreciating art. But like with other talents, there's immense variation across individual humans. Not everyone should be doing hiring, right? I think everyone would love just a, these are the interview questions you need to ask. And you do write about interview questions, but are there other things you should be looking for other than how they do, you know, in a, in a, in several 45 minute interviews with several people from your company? It's going to depend on the job, of course, right? But for many creative jobs, it's extremely important to have a sense of how well does the person radiate energy and how long will they stick at things? And how do they approach social situations and try to get other people to cooperate with them? Those are not quite universally important, but they're, they're highly significant in a large number of different avocations. And uh, you should ask questions about them. But if you ask people directly, you get lies or stilted or prepared answers. You want to just get people talking conversationally about anything they're passionate about and just bring out, well, what's their command of detail? Or how well, if someone's a big Star Wars fan, ask them. Who's the best talent judge in Star Wars? Is it Obi-Wan? Is it Yoda? Is it Darth Vader? No one is prepped for that question, but you'll get a sense. Like, have they even thought about this? In an ideal world, would it be, would it be great to take a, a group of job candidates and, uh, I don't know, br bring them out on a camping trip? Like, I, I think these call them outward bound or something, and they'll have to climb ladders and, and solve problems and that kind of thing. Well, there are companies that have done things like that. I haven't seen formal data on how well that works. In most cases, I think it's overkill. You should focus a bit more on their track record at the actual job skills in question. Now, sometimes you can't do that. It might be a new kind of job or it might be very young people. Uh, 
But that strikes me in most cases as just spending too much time putting these people together. And you make interviewing an arduous process and you actually limit the number of candidates you can consider because they don't all have three days for a camping trip, especially the best ones. Is there a quantitative or money ball, I guess, kind of way of looking at talent where, uh, where you, can, can, you can run the numbers in some fashion? For some jobs, that is significant. For instance, in sports, you reference Moneyball. You actually have data, even for people who are doing well in collegiate sports. Typically, they're taped, they're statistics. But for most actual jobs where you're hiring, uh, if anything, I think there's too much emphasis on data. So if you're hiring a young writer, of course, you might ask, well, how many people have read your blog or how many Twitter followers do you have? But you're looking for potential. And those numbers, everyone else sees too. And you're looking for the people who are going to be better in five years than right now. So just ask them a question like, what is it you do to practice every day? And if they don't do anything to practice every day, yeah, you know, maybe you're not going to be that much better. If they have a convincing, detail-oriented answer about their practice habits, uh, now you're on to something. Uh, at one point several years ago, the Houston Astros basically got rid of almost all their scouts and uh, they cut them by you know, three-fourths and decided just to go to videotape and data. And then three years later, they st- they, uh, in 2020, they started hiring scouts back again. Uh, still don't have as quite as many as they used to. They've been, and they found out that they were, they were missing something about these players. They're just having lots of high-def video. And, and there's more statistics than ever. You know, they can, you know, they can gauge the spin and everything on the baseball. And, you know, the sprint speed, that wasn't enough. Look at the Philadelphia 76ers, one of the most quantitative teams in the NBA. Well, they stuck with Ben Simmons for too long, right? Though he is, in a way, a remarkable talent. And they got rid of Jimmy Butler, who's just been phenomenal since he left. So I think everyone understood the athletic abilities of those players at the time and now. But the difference in determination and sticking with it has made all the difference between Jimmy Butler and Ben Simmons. So that's another case where the numbers don't tell you everything. On that, we, we end up steering people away from the numbers, noting that in some specialized sectors, sales would be one example, they're very useful. How much did you sell? It's not the only question, but surely it is relevant for assessing a salesperson. Do we have any idea what better talent acquisition and talent allocation would mean both for companies and for the economy in general? Well, for the economy in general, I would like to see much higher levels of immigration into the United States. And I know people like to say more high-skilled immigration. Uh, That's fine, but I would just stress the best way to get more high-skilled people is to let in what are called both high-skilled and low-skilled people. The history of U.S. immigration has been that we don't have a skills-based requirement for general immigration, and we end up taking in a lot of highly ambitious, often less educated people who do wonderful things. So at the national level, that's what I'd like to see. At the institutional level, I think we are far too credentialist. We are far too bureaucratized. We don't give young people enough chances. If you go back to the middle of the 20th century, you have American universities like University of Chicago. The university president, I think, was 28 years old, and he did a great job. That is just impossible to happen today. But we know 28-year-olds can run great companies, not that most of them can. So we should have a world where it is possible for a brilliant 28-year-old to be president of a university. That is not the world we live in. That's also not 
our politics at the national level seem to have a very old 70s, 80s, sort of across the board. Uh, that's, uh, to me, that's worrisome if you're worried about talent allocation. Maybe, but it's a little complex because if they're lower energy because of their age and politics, I might be happy with that. I don't want our leaders in every case to be the most vigorous people. So it depends on the alternative. If you need truly great leadership, look at our founding fathers. When they were the founding fathers, they were almost all of them below 40. A lot of them were below 30. So in great moments, you might need that. But I don't want it all the time either. One of the quotes from the book that's sort of uh, getting a little internet buzz is the quote, personality is revealed on the weekends. My personality on the weekends is remarkably like my personality in the week, which is a lot of reading and you know looking at screens. But uh, what do you mean by that? That shows who you really are. When you get home on Saturday, Sunday, it's what you really want to do. It is a sign of your motivation Monday through Friday and how keen you are to improve yourself. So it does reveal your personality uh, and for the better. So there are plenty of people who do what they're told nine through five, Monday through Friday, and they can be good hires for a wide variety of jobs. But their leadership potential, their upward mobility, it's quite limited. And in our world of ideas, uh, they are very often not the people I want to be hiring. You mentioned personality tests uh, in the book. One, are you confident in that there's actually something real and important being measured there? And then naturally, what are, what are the traits we're looking for? I'm not a big believer in personality tests. I think they have been overrated in Silicon Valley, amongst other places. People also give misleading answers. But I think you can learn some basic thing, things from them. Uh, a person's level of openness. It's very hard for a dogmatic person to fake being open. So when it comes to openness, I think the testing works really quite well. Uh, how agreeable or disagreeable a person is, I don't think that's a single dimension. Uh, the best innovators and leaders are selectively agreeable and disagreeable. And I think personality theory doesn't really quite get that right. So I would say of limited use, it's a set of concepts you can use with your team to discuss people. It's a framework, but don't take the numbers too seriously. It's a very loose science. I mean, having interviewed people and hired people, I, you know, I've tried to be aware of what my bias is. And my bias is people who, people who are funny uh, and people who, people who are talkative. Is your book helpful for sort of helping rein in those kind of biases? We talk a lot about biases, for instance, that men have about women. Very smart men tend to underappreciate how smart very smart women are. And if women are agreeable or just nice to the men, uh, the men then tend to overrate the intelligence of the woman. And women who come across as not entirely friendly, men tend to think they're more difficult than they actually are. So that would be an example where there's plenty of biases, again, supported by some research. Uh, we can overcome them, at least partially, one hopes fully. And I think there are many such examples. Now, for many jobs, you want people who are funny. If you're a podcast host, being funny really matters. So it's not necessarily a bias. I don't necessarily know whom you are hiring for what, but don't think of all your biases as biases. I often hear too much talent has gone to Wall Street. Do you agree with that criticism? I don't think there's any simple way you can show that with actual evidence. If someone becomes a quant in a hedge fund, and is highly successful. Obviously, they'll earn a lot of money. Uh, how good would they have been at the next best thing, other than being like a quant at a big tech firm? 
I don't feel I have a very solid answer to that question, but it reminds me a bit of chess players. There's some phenomenal chess players I've known, and they're not all so fantastic at doing other things, even though they are highly intelligent and you have to work hard to become a top chess grandmaster. So I would be agnostic on that, but people simply assume it's a huge problem. I think they have this limited notion of talent that if you drain that particular bunch of people away from the economy, all the rest of us are stupid and feckless and we're hopeless and we can't like run a decent furniture factory in Cincinnati or something. Uh, I'm pretty skeptical there. I'm still waiting to see the core evidence. What do you think motivates the talented? Is it building something, accomplishing something? Is, is it money? All of the above in a bundled package. I sometimes say, if you're looking for drummers, well, you could look for someone who wants to be the greatest drummer in the world. That's like a pretty strong ambition. Maybe that's a positive sign. But most of all, look for someone who loves to drum. And that's the person who will become the greatest drummer in the world. You mentioned earlier about all this talent globally, which is sort of because of globalization and the internet has sort of able to come online in a way it hasn't before. But what about in a, an advanced economy? Do you really think there are sort of a lot of lost Einsteins out there that we're missing uh, even in the United States or again, other rich nations? Well, right now, I'm not sure we have any found Einsteins, right? Like particle physics is puzzling us. We haven't solved it. Here's a simple example at a very ordinary level. A few weeks ago, the state of Maryland decided that there were plenty of Maryland state government jobs you can get without a four-year college degree. That was obviously a good decision when you look at how those jobs are described. They still might end up hiring a lot of college grads, but it's more opportunity, it's more fair, more upward mobility. Other states have yet to follow. We need to do that. It's just status quo bias. It's not that we're all convinced you need a college degree for these ordinary jobs. So there's just so many margins in our economy. We're too credentialist, too sluggish, too status quo oriented, and we can do a much better job allocating talent whether or not we find a new Einstein. Uh, Tyler, I'm not against a good gimmick. So the gimmick is uh, on the two pages, you have a couple pages with sample interview questions. I'm just gonna ask you one. Which of your beliefs are you most likely wrong about? Well, if you ask what I would consider my intelligent friends and peers, the belief of mine they make fun of the most often is I think there's a very good chance that, you know, the Navy UAP or UFO, we used to call it, that data actually represents alien drone probes that have been sent to us. I think it's well below 50%, but I think the chance is 10% or maybe a bit more. Uh, they all think I'm wrong. They're pretty smart. So that would be my pick. What do you think sort of the typical hiring person, big company, small company, the thing they'll get most out of your book? They will get a framework that will cause them to think about their own decision-making processes for the rest of their lives. Daniel and I, we do not pretend to have the answers for every sector, every job, every kind of company, but we do have a generalized framework for thinking about intelligence, personality, energy, durability, many other features of human beings. And that I think will stick with people. And then to flip it around, what will the person seeking, seeking the job, what will they get out of the book fundamentally? They will understand their own talents better, first of all, but they're also looking for talent in other people. If you're choosing a boss, you want a talented boss, right? You don't want a crummy boss. So everyone's in the market for talent, whether you're hiring or being hired. If anything, it's more important for the younger people being hired. My guest today has been Tyler Kaup. His new book, co-written with Daniel Gross, is Talent, How to Identify Energizers, 
creatives, and winners around the world. Tyler, thanks for coming back to the podcast. Thank you very much. Great pleasure. Great pleasure.